Hi, I'm Mickey Dolenz, and you are listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal, What a bunch of shit. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're once again at Earwolf with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. We occasionally describe our guest as having many talents and skills, but our guest tonight may set a new standard. She's a producer, director, screenwriter, former Copa girl best-selling author, activist, ordained minister, medical counselor and healer, and one of the most versatile and admired actors of her generation with hundreds of film and television appearances to her credit. You've seen her work in dozens of popular TV shows, including... The Fugitive, Gunsmoke, The Love Boat, (laughs) In the Heat of the Night, ER, L.A. Law, Ray Donovan, and HBO's Enlightened, as well as the situation comedy Alice, for which she took home a primetime Emmy as Best Supporting Actress. You also know her from an impressive collection of memorable performances in feature films like Chinatown, Black Widow, The Cemetery Club, Carnosaur, (laughs) (laughs) Coast of Mississippi, 28 Days, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Joy, Mrs. Monk, which she also wrote and directed, and three films for which she was nominated for an Academy Award as Best Supporting Actress, Wild at Heart, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, and Rambling Rose, in which she and her co-star Laura Dern made showbiz history as the first mother-daughter duo to earn nominations for the same film. She's the winner of dozens of international awards, including the British Academy Award, the Independent Spirit Film Award, and Cannes Palm Dior Award. Or Palm Dior. Palm Dior! And... And in 2010, (laughs) along with daughter Laura and former husband Bruce Stern, she received a much-deserved star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame. In a career that started at the tender age of 16, she shared the screen with everyone from Paul Newman to Steve McQueen 
to Anthony Hopkins, to Jennifer Lawrence, and worked with legendary filmmakers Roman Polanski, Mike Nichols, David Lynch, and Martin Scorsese. Her well-received book of short stories is called A Bad Afternoon for a Piece of Cake. And her terrific 2006 memoir is called Spiraling Through the School of Life, a mental, physical, and spiritual discovery. Frank and I are thrilled to welcome to the podcast one of our favorite performers and the only woman to ever direct her ex-husband in a major motion picture, the legendary Diane Ladd. I'm tired just listening to all that. Yeah. Somebody really did some research here. Yeah, if I you want to take a nap. Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> I might need a little nap. We left out among directors the wonderful David O. Russell. Oh, David O. Russell. directed Joy, too, yes. you know. I yes, love him a lot. Yes, yes. Now, love them all. We left out Roger Corman, too, who we were talking about before Roger we turned Corman, the mics on. Yeah, who gave everybody, all of us, I said before to you, yeah. that if it wasn't for Roger Corman, I might still be walking around with a picture book trying to break in and get an agent or about that? have somebody listen to me. Name, name some of the people. Susan Strasberg, Peter Fonda. Um, oh, God, there's so many. Well, Robert Redford. Right. Uh, it, the list goes on and Jack on. Jack Nicholson. Absolutely. Yeah. Bogdanovich. I mean, and, Bogdanovich. Right. I told you, uh, Peter Bogdanovich had his first moment of directing an actor with yours truly. We were doing Wild Angels, and so Roger sent him off to do second unit work and said, well, do that scene with Diane. Just take her and do that scene. And Peter was so excited, and he made it a great scene. He put me up against a tree. And he really was into it. He was Fellini at the moment, you know. It was great. That's great. Yeah, we had Roger on the show. And yeah. Peter. Yeah. And Peter both. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's an amazing group. Well, I've been out. very privileged to work with some great, great people in my lifetime. This Sunday, I'm going to, because I am happen to be in New York, I'm going to go see a documentary on the great Olympia Dukakis. Oh, and you work with in Cemetery Club. Yeah, right. boy, I yeah. love her. She's great. She's great. Her timing and mine was like frickin' frack. Bow, 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 bow. It was great. Now, can we talk about the most important moment in your career? <laughs> oh, oh, God, you're going to do it. <laughs> He's going to get it out of the way, you're gonna, Diane. You're a bad boy, Gilbert. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the devil made him do it, guys. Well, uh-huh. your, your, your daughter. Yes. The lovely and talented Laura Dern. Yes. Uh Worked on Jurassic Park. Yes, she did. With Big Steven time. Spielberg, Spielberg movie. <laughs> and the uh, state of the arts in uh, computer generated effects. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and you <laughs> yeah. did a movie called Carnosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let me tell you what happened. <laughs> Roger Corman read that Laura was going to do a Jurassic Park with Steven Spielberg. And it was an early burp. So he immediately had seen this book, Connoisseur. So he got the idea, well, if Spielberg's got Laura, I'm going to get her mother. Because I'd done Wild Angels for him. Mm-hmm. So he called me up and he said, uh, I, I want you to do this movie. I just need you for a week. He said, I'll pay you. And it was very little money. I said, Roger, I, 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 you paid me that 10 years ago. <laughs> I've been working like a dog since then. I make more money than that. Okay, how much would you do it for me? 
So I named a price. He said, that's too much. Another price, another price. So he said, I don't have much money. It's a low budget film, but it's going to be magnificent. It's, he said, I promise you it's going to be as good as Spielberg's picture. It's wonderful, Diane. So uh, what happened is he called me up without my agent, and he said, would you, would you do it for this much money? It wasn't a lot of money, but it was nice money. And I said, probably. I, I just talked to my agent. It wasn't an hour later that the doorbell rang, and there was a check made out to me in my name <laughs> for that amount of money. Now, I want to meet any woman standing at a door that has a check made out to her in her name that says no. I want to see somebody tear up that check. I took that check. I got in my car, and I went shopping. Honey, and, and he, he had me. That's why he is a very smart producer. Roger was a very rich man, and he and his brother came from good money. Roger could have been one of the Fellinis of our time. I'm serious. But there was this personality that had to compete with his brother for money. He had to make commercial films. And I guess I better be glad for it because that's what got me my break. I, I'm grateful all of my life to Roger Corman. And he's a wonderful human being. So is his beautiful wife. They're a great family. But uh, Diane got into Connoisseur. And it's uh, in the picture. Let's see. I couldn't believe it. He kept telling me how great it was when he described it. It sounded wonderful. And then I read the script and a dinosaur breaks out of my stomach to get born. I said, what is this? So he said, a lot of young people will be watching this movie, Diane. So he let me for free, I, I put in a lot of good lines I thought that would affect young people's lives. <laughs> you tried <laughs> to put positive messages yes, into Carnosaur. I tried to be one of God's angels and, and pr- promote some good, healthy living while the dinosaur was growing and being born. So, I, I remember the dinosaur basically looked like a sock puppet. <laughs> Uh, it's one of my momentous moments in life. Well, Robert Redford told me, not Robert Redford, sorry, um, Jason Robards told me that it, uh, he was one of our greatest actors and whom I was privileged to co-star with in a, in a TV show. And got he got me a Broadway show, Jason. He was a magnificent actor. He said his whole repertoire of his whole life, the one thing he remembers is this very independent movie where he had this line, Thank God it's Friday, boys. Thank God it's Friday. And he said it was the worst movie that he ever did, but he remembers that line. So I don't remember I, any lines from Connoisseur, okay. just, just the gorilla thing. He'll I treat remember. you. I'm sure he remembers a lot. I, oh God, I remember us. one part. I mean, granted, <laughs> Jurassic Park played around with science a little. They weren't totally sticking to the facts. But in, <laughs> in, in Carnosaur, your reason... For creating new dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. Was, and I remember the line exactly. You said, because I like dinosaurs better than people. Did I say that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember my lines better than I do. I can't believe I even said that line. Yeah. Roger talked me into yeah. it. Well, there you go. It's funny, you, it's funny you say Corman could have been Fellini because he did a lot to promote those kind of films in, yes, in, the, in the States because yes. that's, that's that, that was actually to his taste. Yes, he did. He liked Godard and, and Fellini yeah, and, 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 uh, and Bergman. And, yeah, who was, who was the great actor for Bergman, one of the men? Von Cito, Yes, Von Cito? I starred in a picture with Von Did Cito. you? Yeah, 
And and uh, he told me that everybody was very grateful to Roger Corman for promoting their movies, his movies. Yeah, Roger was yeah. always promoting those kind of he great films. He distributed those movies in the States. The, right. A lot of people saw them because of him. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's and an interesting dichotomy to the man. We, well, it's a little bit contrast between, a little bit of contrast between Connoisseur and, <laughs> and Rambling Rose. Right, yes. And, and I just got to say that the night that... Rambling Rose was shown. Did you know that the late Princess Diana chose that as I her favorite I saw that in movie? the research, yes. She flew my daughter and I and the director Martha Coolidge to London, and she had a royal premiere and a party in our honor and a big reception first, and then she sat right next to me right here watching the movie. I never sweated so much in my life. Really? Next to her. But I must tell you that this woman was one of the greatest people I was privileged to meet. She was so wonderful and down-to-earth and just looked you right in the eye and said hello. She was a great human being. Wonderful movie, which my wife and I watched again Thank last you. night. Bob Duval was also yeah. brilliant. Well, great. great. And John, and the Lucas late John Hurd. John Hurd. We yeah. had a great cast. Yeah, Lucas Haas. Yeah, Calder Willingham wrote it. It took him 17 years. I knocked on doors for five years trying to get that made, and everybody said, because the script came to me, and everybody said, oh, it's too good. Just go do it for TV. Well, hello. Yeah. So Laura, then I made her read it, and she gave it to a producer, Rennie Harlan, and said, read this. He said, oh. She said, take it with you. He was going to do another movie. And he got locked in in the mountains in the snow and had nothing to read. That's how sometimes the angels work. Isn't that funny? So he was read that script and said, my God, I'm going to do this. Because he made action pictures yeah, and popcorn yeah, action movies, pictures. and you That's wouldn't right. associate his name with, yeah. with Rambling Rose. Yeah, the angels work in a mysterious way. That sometimes. scene with you and Duval in the bed, when you turn away from him, and he whispers into your hearing aid, yeah. is one of the great scenes. And people need to see that movie. With they two, need to two see Two great that American a, mo- uh, actors. They need to see that movie for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Because and, in that scene, I'm supposed to be deaf, you know? Yeah. And uh, Bobby was being very sexy. And he said, <laughs> uh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? We're husband and wife. Right. He said, can you hear me? And I say to him, and I'm not spo- he's not supposed to be able to hear me, but he does. And I say to him, no, I can't hear you, but I can feel you. Because he was very aroused in that, <laughs> in that moment. And if you look at that scene in the picture, you will see that he couldn't have read my lips at that moment. You because turned his away. eyes were here, no yeah, here. Yeah. And so he heard me say that. But I must say that he was one of the most honorable gentlemen I've ever been privileged That's to work nice. with. What a sweet film. And you're the, you're the heroine of that film because you, you save, a, not to, not for, to give yeah, away he, any spoilers. He based it, but, Calder Willingham was one of our greatest writers, and he based that on a true story. Mm-hmm. And the woman was very spiritual, very metaphysical, uh, human being, you know, um, was wanted to know why we lived on earth, what we were doing here, and a very evolved lady. And she helped many, many people because she was deaf from birth. And she had to wear this horrible contraption to hear. And she, her character is quite incredible. The character is a little like you, if I may say, well, her, which odd. I picked up in the research. She's very it, spiritual, like you, you are. Say that. I always say that that part's the closest to my heart of all the parts I've played. Marietta and David Lynch's character. Is a, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's 360 and, degrees exactly. away. And you met with royalty because it's, of that. Yeah, and I'm a country girl. My father was a veterinarian. I'm from Mississippi. I helped my father go through country places and help him sell medicine for poultry and livestock. 
mean, it's not a subject that I can do at a party. I can't really go to a Hollywood party and talk about cholera, roop, sorehead, and white diarrhea and chickens. So I'm quite <laughs> often odd man out, Gilbert. So, you describe yourself in the book as just a pigtail girl with a curious nature and a, and a wonderfully crazy family. Wonderful family, very yeah. loving. What made what made them? Were they eccentric a little bit? Oh, the South is always Tennessee Williams was my cousin. Yeah, you no. know. And the South is always, I say, there's as much hypocrisy in the South as in the North. But at least the South, they'll hug you and say, sit down and have something to eat. And you can say a lot for that while getting hugged. I'll take it. <laughs> that counts for right. something. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. And and you directed uh, another former guest of ours, uh, the great Bruce Stern, your ex-husband. <laughs> it's right in the intro. Yeah. And, and uh, you, this was after you were divorced. Right. And We're still so, friends. And yeah. and you still, for whatever reason you split up, you still would work with him. Yes, absolutely. He's one of the greatest actors I've ever been privileged to work with. I told him he was a stinking husband, but a magnificent actor. <laughs> May I quote what you said about living with him? <laughs> you said if you were still living drink. with him, you'd be an old alcoholic on a hill. <laughs> I just said that. <laughs> I said, if I hadn't gotten divorced from you, Bruce, I'd just be an old alcoholic living on top of a hill. So... Better I had gone on my own way. Right, right, right. But he was wonderful. We actually met uh, when I was 17 years old in Orpheus Descending, Tom's play off-Broadway. Mm-hmm. And um, it ran a whole year, and it was a huge hit. Tom had tried to, Tennessee Williams, mm-hmm. Tom Lanier Williams. He had tried to make that a hit for 20 years, that play. And I heard they were doing it. At, uh, I was a Copa girl at the time. I would ask you about kick, that, too. Kicking for my living. And I heard they were auditioning for it. And at the same time, I got my first little part, five lines, in a Broadway show with Herman Shumlin. And I think it was starring Jane Fonda. And um, I turned it down. And Mr. Shumlin said, what are you doing? I said, I got to go do this Equity Library Theater for no money. I said, I have to do this part. He said, child, you don't do, you, you do Equity Library Theater to get a part in a Broadway show. Not the reverse. I said, I, I know, Mr. Shumlin, I'm very grateful, immensely grateful, but I have to do this part. I just have to, because we were promised, if it was good, that we could take it off Broadway. Now, I could hardly pay my rent or hardly buy food at that time because I'd had a scholarship to study law at LSU. And uh, John Carradine was doing Tobacco Road in California, and his co-star, Georgia Simmons, she'd always wanted to be an actress and her family wouldn't let her. And when she retired at 60 from school teaching, she got on a tramp steamer and went over to Italy to meet Fellini. And she met Fellini, and he loved her so much that he put her in as her, the grandmother in eight and a half in that picture. And wow. that started her career. So then she started acting everywhere. She was so happy she fulfilled her destiny later in life. So she was taking a vacation. They were redoing the sets in California, rebuilding them. So she took a vacation down to Georgia and on the way back stopped for one night in New Orleans, Louisiana. And meanwhile, I had um, gone to a little Catholic school. Well, there are no Catholics and no Jews in Mississippi. And I'm both. <laughs> no okay. Jews in Mississippi. Yeah. Okay, I'm both. What a so, surprise. <laughs> so I go, I go to the St. Aloysius School and... I had enough because there was only seven in my class, only 35 in the whole high school. So you didn't get away with anything. And so I graduated in three years. I had enough credits 
that I didn't have to go back the fourth year of my high school. So while the other kids are all there, I went on to New Orleans, and my family put me in a finishing school that almost finished me. It was terrible, terrible. That's with the pump-up bra. Oh, my gosh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, tell us the, about It was this. the Jane Russell the f- era. inflatable bra? And they gave you, I was small busted, and they gave me a big old plastic bra that I had to blow up with a straw. <laughs> you go out to dinner, and if you started leaking, you excuse yourself, go to the bathroom, and blow yourself back up. Well, what was the reason? Because they wanted you to look like Jane Russell. Was there a story uh, about a girl on a plane <laughs> yes, wearing the bra? Yes, one girl, they forgot to tell a girl you don't get on a plane wearing it. <laughs> And she did it. Blew up. Up. You had to blow it up with the yeah, amount. Yeah, <laughs> with a straw. Yes, very At interesting. At the finishing charm. school very in New Orleans. Very interesting charm school. So okay. it was like a beach ball. Yes, it was. Yeah. But so I was doing a little theater on the side, and Georgia Simmons is staying with a friend, and she said, "I got tickets for a little theater play tonight, but I don't want to go see little theater." And Georgia said, "I do. I love little theater. Let's go." <laughs> so she comes. She comes to see it. And who do you think is one of the stars, yours truly, 16 years old? She goes back, she calls up John Carradine that night, wakes him up and says, I found the girl to replace Pearl in Tobacco Road. Wow. And meanwhile, the girl was from New Jersey, and she was giving up show business to go marry a Mississippi boy. It was like we exchanged lives. That's bizarre. So John Carradine said, I'll give her a train ticket to come. I won't give her a plane ticket. I'll give her a train ticket. So he gave me a train ticket, and my father gave me $25 in my pocket. said, you go. I'll let you go do that audition. And when that money's gone, girl, you come home. I got on that train with a little luggage, and I was off. And I auditioned against another girl, and I got it. Really? And that started the show business thing. But then when I got to New York, we were told uh, uh, that if we got good reviews— that we could then take this play off Broadway. So this was my dream. My dream was to be a Broadway theater actress. And so I was so excited. And we did the play, and it was great. And the reviewers didn't come. They didn't come. No reviewers came. And I said, well, where are the reviewers? And I personally, at 17, called up the New York Times, so help me. I got that editor on the phone. And he said, honey, we, we don't review Equity Library Theater. And I started crying. Wow. I said, well, why? We're all actors. If God gave me talent and I'm in New York, and I'm, why, why wouldn't you review my talent for God? Why, why? I said, that's all I have to depend on is a review. I, I don't know if I can pay my rent next week or eat anything. All I have, I said, is if, if you don't review it, how will we young actors give us a break? Please, if I'm bad, tear me up. But if I'm good, praise me in God's name. They sent a reviewer. And from that day till the end of the 90s, when there was depression, they reviewed Equity Library Theater from that moment on. Wow, and that's so a then, point. And then uh, Tom didn't make it to see the play, and neither did his great agent, Audrey Wood. But then I called him up, got his number, and I said, I'm your cousin. Tennessee Williams. Yes. Yep. I said, Tom, <laughs> I'm your cousin. You have been trying to make this play a hit for 20 years. You did it with Miriam Hopkins, Something Wild in the Country. Herman Shumlin did it on Broadway. I said, Marie, I said, you, if this isn't a hit, I will eat your script with ketchup on it. <laughs> I said, just come, let us put it on in the living room, in God's name. So he did. He said, well, I won't give you an answer right then and there. So he came, and my little mistake was I was so busy taking care of everybody else that I wasn't taking care of me. I was in the kitchen making lemonade and pouring a bottle of gin in it. He's sitting out there, and the guy he brought with him got so sloshed, he kept calling me a baby doll the whole time. 
<laughs> so when Tom when Tom finished seeing the play, he said, I love it. I'm going to let you do it. He said, I love everybody, but I'm not so sure about Diane. I swear to you. Oh, no. So, yes. So, anyway, then the producer comes to me and says, Diane, I got him the rights and everything. And then he said, at that time, we need $10,000 to do it off-Broadway, and we don't have the money. I said, well, go get the money. He said, well, there's a guy from Wall Street will give us the money if we let his wife do your part, Carol Coutrere. He said, so we want you to give up your part. I said, in a pig's eye, I got you the rights to this play. You're not going to push me around like this. Well, the producer was blind, Stella Holt. And I went out to a judge that I had met, a wonderful judge, and I talked to him about what's going on. He gave me a check for $5,000 to back it. And then he gave me papers that other people could sign for the other 5000 And I, to this day, I don't know how I got down to Wall Street as an invite into a man's club at a round table with five rich men. I don't know how, but the gods worked that. Wow. But I did a spiel, and I got that $5,000. For your art. I handed it to Stella Holt, and they didn't give me a credit or a piece of it or nothing. I was blonde, you see. And so I was too dumb to ask for it. But that play opened, and I got incredible, incredible reviews. Uh, This little girl, when she walked into Sardis, everybody stood up and applauded. I didn't know what was going on. I was so naive. And it ran for a whole year, and that's where I met Bruce Dern. You were on a roll. I was on a roll. Yeah. Sometimes in life we get on a roll. You have to struggle a lot. Rolling seven. And you have to bounce back a lot. But you, what, what I said Frank? you were rolling sevens there for a bit. <laughs> That's and right. And both in terms of getting it on, it, meeting It happens. It's a, happened a, a lot in me in my life that yeah. I've had to fight for what I believe in. For Rambling Rose, mm-hmm. five years before somebody found it and made it. Mm-hmm. You know, for different projects. Your passion projects. Warren Beatty once told me that it took him 12 years to get Bonnie and Clyde made. And Bonnie and Clyde had everything producers want. The violence, the blood, the murder, the sex. Yep. So if it took him 12 years to get the money for that, and he was a big star, well, then you know it's got to take time. Mm-hmm. It's true. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast right after these important messages. Just kidding, it's all Frank. And now back to the podcasting stylings of Gilbert Gottfried. With your daughter, Laura Dern. Yes, my precious, my treasure. <laughs> was a, a question you always ask, um, Was were you encouraging her to no. get in? No. No. I said she wanted to be an actress at 10, and I said, no. I said, you'd be a liar, a lawyer, a doctor, an Indian chief, a leper missionary, anything. I said, Laura, you don't want to be an actor because they judge you if your chin points. They judge you like Clark Gable, his ears were too big. They judge you if you put on a pound. You don't want to go through that. You know, be a doctor or, or, 
or, or, or, or a lawyer or something where the work, they just judge the work. We keep praying they'll judge just the work. But no, I said, you don't want to do it. So she outsmarted me. She said, but mother, if I could play the piano, you wouldn't tie my hands behind my back and say I couldn't play till I was 21, <laughs> would you? So I let her go to a drama school. I said, okay, there's a drama, there's a school, Harvard School for Boys is having drama classes for girls and boys. If you want to do it, you can go. You have to give up every Saturday of play to go over there and study drama. You have to make your own lunch, and you have to go on a bicycle. Okay. And she did it. And then I was at the actor Bo Hopkins' house, and she went up to his agent and said, my mother and daddy won't help me, but could I come well, to I your office? I saw that office? in an interview. She was, she was doing end of rounds. She yeah. did it. Yeah. And I, the girl said, all right, you can come, Laura. She's just being nice. Laura went and did a monologue for her. The next day, that agent called me up and said, Diane, I want to send your daughter for a lead in a movie. I said, excuse me, what did you say? She said, well, there's a lead, a picture called Foxes. And she said, the girl's supposed to be 17. I said, Laura's just turned 13. She said, I know, but she can look 17. So Laura went up, and it ended up between her and a a girl uh, 21 years old. He finally went with because he felt Laura was too young. That's that Jodie Foster picture. Yeah, but he gave Laura a couple of lines in the movie. And then when the movie was being shown, he called me first for a screening. He said, I want to show you something. I want you to come see something. He said, come over here. I want you to see your daughter in my picture. She had like eight lines. He said, she's got cinema magnetism. I want you to show that your baby's got it. I said, oh, please. <laughs> and I went in and I sat and I watched it. When I saw her, I started to cry. Wow. I thought this soul chose me as her mother to come in so she could help share this gift with the world for true. That's nice. And what did you say to her then? Obviously, your tune, your, your, said, your tune okay, had changed. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. you can act, but it's not going to be an easy road. You know, it's not going to be an easy road, Laura. You better know. You better have a lot of bounce backism. There's that good story, too, and Alice doesn't hard. live here anymore, where she eats the ice cream cones. Oh, yeah. Well, and, that was with Scorsese. Yeah. Where, oh, was she 10? Uh, yeah. Something like that? I was shooting. Alice doesn't live here yeah. anymore. And he put Laura in a little scene as an extra, and she ate, I think, 16 ice cream cones. <laughs> and Marty said, she didn't get sick. He said, she's going to be an actress. That's great. I'm sitting here. I'm laughing with a friend of mine. May I introduce of her, course. Gilbert? I have a beautiful friend here. She's named Dr. Mary Jo D'Amelia. And she is one of the greatest doctors I've been privileged to meet in my life. We've been friends for 30 years. And my husband broke his ankle in 2011. And in 2014, it started to act up in California, and he got a sore on the ankle, and it wouldn't heal, and it bloated. It became purple, and he could, he used to ride a bike 10 miles a day. He couldn't exercise. He couldn't swim. He couldn't go out on the beach. He couldn't work. It was horrible. And we've spent a fortune, a bloody fortune, on doctors, and he had the ankle looked at because the doctor asked him to have the arteries checked and the veins. They said they're fine. He did it again. They said they're fine. And thanks to Mary Jo, we flew here and saw specialists. Finally, four years later, they checked the leg and found out that, you know, the artery comes down to the knee and branches out into three arteries. Two of them were blocked. And the doctor said those doctors were crazy because one of them is congenital. It's been blocked since birth. And even though you were a football player, that's probably why your ankle finally cracked. It wasn't getting enough blood. 
So they've repaired the arteries, and then Dr. Weinfeld at, 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 at the hospital at uh, Mount Sinai went in and they took all the old metal out of his ankle, eight pins, metal pins, and a metal plate, and he's doing great. But this lady found all the great doctors for us, and she has helped baby him and wow. take care of him and help me. Well, welcome, so Mary Jo. It, she's the, the, the doctor for the stars, Dr. Mary Jo D'Amelia, because you know why? This human being believes in her oath. She believes that in order to have a cure, you have to find the cause, okay, and that you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I think doctors, whether it's medicine or politics or show business, in many cases, the systems are broken. And we got to get back those who can of us and fight to fix those systems for that next generation coming up. Well, we always need a doctor. <laughs> you do, Marriage. right? Yeah, the two of us can benefit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're and glad you're now, here. Now, jumping back yeah. to the play, one of my favorites that you named, what was it like working with John Carradine? Oh, my gosh, he was incredible. He was magnificent. He had a gift from the universe. I mean, when this man spit on stage, he spit like a country farmer. Uh, when he walked, he walked like a country farmer. And he was very gracious, and he was a great Shakespearean actor. Yeah, we had Keith you know. here on the show. Yeah, it's his yeah. daddy, yeah. yeah, David's daddy. David. I did a picture with David, Macho Callahan, and uh, I know I know Keith. And their father was truly one of the greatest Shakespearean actors of all time. And to, to begin your career by working with someone that loves the theater so much and has such respect and honor for it is a great lesson for a young artist. It makes you appreciate the gift in yourself and fight to make it as good as possible. How old were you when he saw you for the first time? 16. Yeah. And there's a story in the book about you walking, doing a certain walk, and he was yes, complaining he, about the way you walked. He said, okay, in this walk, you have to show me that you are Jeter Lester's illegitimate daughter. So the first time I was using the, the you know, the... The charm schools walk. Okay. And he said, no, no, no. I don't want you walking like a model. So I did it again. He said, no, you're walking like a clodhopper country girl. You are born with an elegance in you that can only be seen through your walk. So I thought for a few minutes, took my time, and I did the walk a third time. And he said, oh, my God, you've got it. You've got it. You did it. Perfect. You went nuts, perfect. And then the other young lady had to audition up there. He apologized for having both of us audition in front of each other. So then she went second to do it, and she panicked. She panicked. And I learned a lesson right then and there. No matter what happens in life, right, wrong, don't ever panic. And if you are panicking, don't let anybody know it. And she panicked. So I don't, I'm not sure I know what you mean. I don't, I don't know if I can do this. Well, that isn't going to get you the job. Mm -hmm. That isn't going to get you the job. So she didn't get it, and I did. God bless her wherever she is today. Tell us about, too, you're talking about being in New York and not having any money. Talk, just tell us a little bit about auditioning to be a Copa girl, because I found that one of the interesting things in the well, book. Did you audition for the legendary Jules Podell? No, he he didn't really. You know, he, it was his choreographer, Doug Cornell. I see. Uh, uh, Jules, we, as Copa girls, first of all, when Tobacco Road closed— I had a natural ability as a dancer. Maybe I'd done it in a past life or whatever. So you'd done the Carradine play. 
I finished right. Carradine right. and it closed. Okay. And my mother and daddy said, come home. They wanted you back in Mississippi. Did that upbringing nurture your creativity too? Oh, absolutely. Because oh, yeah. in, in your book, you talk about Southern life versus big city life. Yeah. Uh, I'm right now renting a condo to be here for this month. Yeah. And I feel so bad that I don't even know any of my neighbors. Some of them don't even look up. And I, my father said, hell, even dogs sniff each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's not life in New York City. No, it's not. If I go around sniffing, y'all have to get me out of jail. No. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I feel yeah. bad when I'm in an elevator. It's not my yeah. nature to not say hello to someone. So That's I find myself saying, how's everybody today? I'm the one who usually breaks the ice. Yeah. Unless they really are cold and locked off. But if there's the smallest opening... I always try to say something to that human being as I pass by. And you were talking in an interview about how many movies there used to be made in a week. Yeah, I forget. Wasn't it? uh, Was it thirty-five every week? Something like that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. the studio system. When Marlon Brando and Shelley Winters uh, were in the business, and I knew both these people, I was very privileged. But I came in like twelve years later uh, into the industry, or about. You know, they did all those great movies that they did. And it was thriving. And now uh, we have runaway productions. Really bad. Without getting too political, let me just say that my profession is the number one runaway pr- profession in this country. Uh, we were num- number two. We were bookended it between tobacco and weaponry, according to the United States Chamber of Commerce. But now we're number one. We're the number one importing and exporting business, but mostly exporting which is why we're number one, because we send, we're send we sending movie productions out to um, Prague, mm-hmm. France, England, Spain, and it's really... Uh, Canada. I've been to Canada 15 times, okay? And right now, they have so much work in Canada for, because of us. They've built five stadiums because of the money from America. Uh, actually, my husband and I went to... He used to be on the United States Chamber of Commerce at one time. And we, he was at a conference in Florida, and I met Tom Donahue, head of the United States Chamber of Commerce. And he said to me, Diane, why doesn't Hollywood make better movies? <laughs> I said, well, why in Hollywood making movies at all? And he was shocked when I gave him the lowdown. He said, why aren't you people marching in the streets? I said, you know, my actors bring in $10 billion a year to America, but they don't know how to help themselves. Every politician, everybody asks an actor for help. At the last go-around, out of 120,000 actors, only 3,000 make $100,000 a year or better. And if they make 100000 they give 50% of that to the five people that work for them that right. help them get the jobs. So they would only end up with a third, and that's before they pay their secretary, their office, if they have one, or whatever they do. And out of the 120000 87,000 actors made less than a $10,000 a year poverty wage, and 32,000 did not make one cent that year. So I think show business is in need of help because when we make all these movies, uh, we compete against places like Germany and France and their government. If I was in Germany now, even though my relatives died there fighting wars, if I was there, I could take my scripts to their government and if 10 people approved it, I would get the money to make my movie. And you don't in Hollywood. You have to fight like a dirty, rotten dog to try to get a movie made. And um, I think culture is suffering really bad because when I was a kid, I could be in a picture at 17 or 18, and I got to meet 
Spencer Tracy. I got to meet the great Spencer Tracy and watch that. Tell us about that. Well, that was in Mad Mad World. Madeline Rue was in that movie, Uh so she brought me on the set. How about that? And I went in and I borrowed my roommate's scarves to stick down in my bust and high heels uh, because I was going to go in and get discovered. And I was looking good, honey. uh, (laughs) Early 60s. Yeah, I think when I walked in that one of the crew people made some obscene movements behind my back regarding me. And Spencer Tracy saw it, and he didn't like it. Wow. And he said, Madeline, bring your young friend right up here. And he set me right next to the camera. And he said, my name was Ladner or Lanier, either one. Mm -hmm. Not Lad. Hollywood took my near away. Okay. So he said, Miss (laughs) Ladner, he said, you sit right here next to camera so you can watch everything and he made remarks that day about show business that i have written in my book i don't want to say them now on the air but he talked about the actor's job to protect themselves and fight for the good work and i had opportunities like that and so i could fight to get one line or five lines in a movie and begin my career when you go when these all these runaway pictures that go running away to other countries. Yeah, mean, they yeah. take maybe two or three stars, mm-hmm. and then they use their people in all the small parts. Mm-hmm. So our actors, to be around Barbara Stanwyck or Betty Davis or Spencer Tracy, you pick up their greatness. You can feel it. If you care, you can feel the difference in life between an evolved human being of the human family that cares. And so culture, I think, is as powerful a weapon as a bomb anytime. And I think we've got to fight for our culture, and I think we have to to bring more films back here because it's atrocious what's happening. Georgia got smart. Governor Dale got smart. We've got a new governor now, so I hope he is smart enough that that uh, he's made $6 billion for the state of Georgia by bringing show business to Georgia. Now, if he can do it, think how much money our country's losing right now. I hope people follow that example. Well, we're losing every 10 days— uh, to at least $2 billion. Wow. Uh, every, I'm sorry, every 10 years, every decade. $2 billion in runaway productions minimum at a low tax rate of 20%. That's $40 million of tax money. So we are being very dumb, very, very dumb, because culture, to make people laugh or cry, because when it lowers, when the standards lower, you get more and more ripoffs, kill them, Hit them, rip them, violence, sell it, gimmick. And you don't get real artistic Clifford Odette's writing or Tennessee Williams writing. And you don't lift up somebody singing and hitting D above high C. Is is part of the problem that those action films, that those lowest common denominator films work better for foreign audiences? That they don't, it's it's hard to export something like Rambling Rose, which is an intelligent piece of work. Rambling Rose went very well. In fact, my own film, Mrs. Monk, did incredibly in Europe. Mm -hmm. And I won three awards as Best Director. Uh, No, I think that England, for example, look at their great movies that they make. Mm -hmm. Look at those wonderful movies that they make over there. We've spoken about a few times is the idea of like, if it's not a billion dollar movie, the movies that you Made all these years, Bruce has made, uh, Nicholson, Pagino. Marty Scorsese was, made big movies. Yeah. But, um, yeah, David O. Russell makes pretty big movies. But I mean, like, yeah. Taxi Driver couldn't make it into theaters now. Well, you could try. Or Coming Home. 
yeah, or any of these small pictures. They 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 struggle. Well, I have a movie that I'm ready to make, folks, and I've been trying 30 years. I was in partnership with Jane Fonda at Columbia when Putnam was fired. I was in partnership with Mr. Oliver Stone, 50-50, when he stole one of my characters from my script. Uh-oh. And he was screaming that I was going to sue him, and I told the great Oliver Stone that I was not going to sue him. I was going to leave him to God. His his picture bombed, and I still have mine, and I do believe that I'm getting the money for it this next two weeks. So I would appreciate everybody out there in America saying a prayer for Diane. Say a prayer for for Diane. It's a film called Woman Inside, Martha, Woman Inside. And Mr. Scorsese, the great Scorsese, says it's one of the greatest screenplays he's read in 20 years. So if there's an investor out there, you call Gilbert and he'll put you in touch with me. <laughs> Gilbert will be, do it. You'll be the happiest man alive next year. <laughs> and when, when well, you in 2020 when the Oscars come when out. When you were on the set of Mad Mad World, yes. did you meet or observe any of the other comics there? No, but I know the comics. Yeah. Well, you worked I with Buddy Hackett when you were young. You were in well, an episode of Stanley. Yes, I yeah. did a part. I was Carol Burnett's yes. uh, 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 cousin. Yeah. I, I, it was a miracle how Early I got there to career. audition, and I got chosen to be Buddy Hackett and Carol Burnett's cousin. <laughs> Remember and that I, show, Stanley Gilbert? Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I love Carol Burnett and Buddy Hackett both. I loved them both. Yeah. And then also, when I was a Copa girl, all these people performed there, you know. They all came in and performed. Vic Damone, Buddy Hackett, you name it. So you interacted with everybody at the Yeah, Copa. and also um, my best friends in Hollywood uh, just uh, written a musical, too, called The Last of the Bad Girls. But we haven't. We got 17 songs, but three of them have to be rewritten. So maybe in about two years you might be seeing that. But I wrote it for Lainey Kazan, Connie Stevens, Diane Ladd, and Renee Taylor. And it's called The Broads Are Back on Broadway. And it's, I, I love saying, those women. They say it's really, really, really good. So... We'll just see what happens, guys. You got to have dreams, and you and if it's meant for you, it will happen. Uh, if it's not meant for you, you know we can't. Our angels can see eighty thousand feet up this room and a lot that's happening better than I can. But I keep telling them they don't wear a watch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you mentioned Stanwick and Betty Davis, could you tell us real quick? I can tell about, you, sir, about Miss Barbara Stanwick. Yeah, tell us. I went it. and auditioned for a. Show with Richard Dreyfus, uh, Big Valley. Mm-hmm. I remember and, that show. Sure. Yeah, and um, I was pregnant with Laura, and I hid it. I was carrying a girl. You carry a girl lower, so I could wear a big country dress, and they couldn't really tell, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was like almost six months pregnant, so I had to really be careful uh, because the the strange thing is, everybody ignores you, but if you finally say. To the Wrangler or somebody, listen, I can't ride in a rough wagon. I'm pregnant. Oh, you're pregnant. Here's a chair for you, Diane. You want some tea? Everybody's so nice to you. (laughs) So I was pregnant, and I did a scene with Barbara Stanwyck. And the first, this is the truth. The first scene I did, uh, the costumer said, oh, no, I had to put the wrong scarf on her. She has to do it again. I mean, I'm acting my guts out. So Barbara looks at him, so we do the scene again. It's my scene, my big emotional scene, one of them. So then we do it again, and the guy said, oh, that light went out while we were doing it. I'm sorry, she has to do it again. And Barbara's looking at him, Miss Stanwyck. And then I did the scene four times, and Barbara Stanwyck stepped forth. She said, you're watching one of the best, greatest young actresses I've seen in years, and you've just made her blow out herself four times. 
I will allow her to do it one more time. Wow. And if you don't get all of your stuff right, she will not do it again. So you better get it right. So I didn't, you know, I did it again. And after the show was over, I went to Barbara Stanwyck and I said, Miss Stanwyck, may I please thank you so much for taking up for me, for taking up for me. I, I can't, she said, Diane, with your talent, you don't have to ever thank anybody. Remember that. So I don't know how she found out that I was pregnant because I wasn't telling anybody. Okay, this is a true story. I'm in the hospital. I have delivered Laura Dern. And I'm having gas pains. They took a cesarean mm-hmm. so there would be no mistake. Because previously, Bruce Dern and I lost our first child in an accident when she was two years old. And it's not really memoirs. That's my miracle book because they said um, the, I, I wanted to be pregnant again. And so I tried very hard. And I did get pregnant, but my body was in shock, and it was a tubular pregnancy, and I almost died. So five, they took the right tube, all of the right tube, and five-eighths of the left, and they said, I'm sorry, Diane Ladd, five top doctors, you will never have another child. And I said, I will. It's a very inspiring story in the book. I will. And so I did. And when Laura was born, she was my miracle child. And I talk about it in this this health spiritual book. But as I'm laying there, when they do cesarean, I've got a ton of gas and it's pressing against those stitches that where they just cut me. And I'm in a little bit of living hell. Okay. And the nurse comes in and is walking around. And I said, please, can you get a doctor to put a tube up my backside to get rid of the gas? I'm in pain, please. She said, oh, he's in surgery right now. You can't, you can't, I can't get to the doctor right now. And I was dying, and she's looking at the flowers. And I've got this huge bouquet right here from Barbara Stanwyck. It was magnificent, had little butterflies on each flower. She said, oh, those are pretty. Who are they from? I said, Barbara Stanwyck. I thought, God help me here. She said, oh, yeah, sure. And she she said, oh, my God, it is from Barbara Stanwyck. She said, I'll get you your tube. So I ran into Barbara Stanwyck. I ran into Barbara Stanwyck on the street, and I said, because she invited me for breakfast, and I said, I want to tell you what you did for me. And I told her how she saved me. She fell out into the street laughing. Great she laughed story. so hard. So you got better medical care because <laughs> you know Barbara Stanwyck. I certainly did. <laughs> you know, Ty, we always ask this of, of people with long careers. When you look back, and I was looking at your IMDb, you know, we talked about Stanley with Buddy Hackett. You were in Naked City with James Franciscus. Lot of the detectives ben with Gazzara, Robert Taylor. Yeah, Ben Gazar, Harry Gardino, a name Gilbert and I love. Mm-hmm. Ironside, Gunsmoke, The Big Valley, did 40 Pounds of Trouble with Tony Curtis. Do you, do you look back on those years, on the, the so-called the hungry years? Do you look back on them with fondness? Sure. Was it fun yeah. to be, I mean, you didn't want to be broke and hungry. No, but, but I don't know how I did it all. Yeah. You don't know how you do it when you're young, do you guys? We don't know. The angels just... You don't know us. any better, as you Gilbert don't know says. Any better. Yeah. Ignorance yeah. is bliss, he, you know? He, he yeah. did stand I, up at 15 for the first time. Yeah. I, I always say, like, I always had stupidity on my side. Well, it helps a little bit sometimes, <laughs> doesn't it? It does. But I think you just know you're living. You got something you got to share. And so you want to share it. I don't know if it's whether it's cooking, you know, pastries or if it's doing a computer work. But everybody has some kind of gift. When he makes people laugh, I, he which does. he does, it's a gift. you make people laugh, it's that's a, stopping hate. It's a gift. When you laugh, you get rid of gas. 
<laughs> your heart feels better. All the benefits. All the benefits, Gilbert. All the benefits. What do you see? Just tracking your journey, Diane. What do you What do you see as kind of the the you know a breakthrough role for you in those days? Was it the Reavers? Was it Wild Angels? Was it? It was uh, Rambling Rose for me. Yeah, that for late. Me, I think that late. Yeah, yeah, I think it was late. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, there were a lot of starts and stops, starts and stops. You know, you don't know about your life. You know, could I have been Meryl Streep? Maybe. But I, there was a uh, there's an actor who died about two months ago, and um, Scott Wilson was one of the greatest actors that lived on this Scott planet. Wilson. He starred with Bobby Blake in oh, the, in, Cold in Blood. Cold Blood. I know that actor. And had he had the right manager and agent, he would have been bigger than Tom Cruise ever was. But he didn't. He could never seem to get the right agent or manager. So you would say, well, why? And Scott was a member of the Screen Actors Guild. And he had a vision that all actors' health should be protected and their insurance, no matter where they went to work, Spain, England, or whatever. And the Screen Actors Guild people laughed at him, mocked him. He didn't own his own home. He and his wife had saved $40,000 to pay down on their home. Instead of paying down on their home, they used that money to hire lawyers and to go, f- to go fight with lawyers for what was called the global rule. That no matter where those 120,000 actors, should they be lucky enough to get a job in Prague or Spain, their pension and welfare, which would be enough for their insurance, would be covered. Well, and he ad- did it. That's admirable. One man did it all by himself. Now, if he'd been off being starring in movies like Tom Cruise, he probably wouldn't have done it. So the universe had a different plan. They give you a gift, but they have a plan. How are you going to use that gift and reach the rest of your humanity? Scott Wilson, you remember him in, the, in, in Cold Blood? Oh, yeah. He I did two movies guys. with him. You he's, did? Well, he just died a couple yeah, of weeks sorry. ago. And he's a wonderful, wonderful human being. So we there's different paths, different strokes for different folks. Sure. So yeah. I feel personally, I've been 82 times around the sun. They say I look 60. Uh, one of the I have a, I have a show on December seventh, by the way. Where uh, Lifetime okay. that I'm starring in. Good. Uh, it's on with two young people, a Christmas show, Pearl Harbor Day. It's called Christmas Lost and Christmas Found. And the director came up and said, "Diane, what kind of moisturizer do you use on your face?" I said, <laughs> "Why?" He said, "Well, every time we look at your dailies, you glow. You glow on film. What is it?" I said, "It's white light, honey. It's white light. It's what we breathe." Just breathe in that white light. And I believe that because they say on film I look 60 unless I'm supposed to play older. I don't think you should think about your age. I think you should think about your health and your life and fill your heart with joy and handle the problems, which we all have. I saw that in an interview with you. You said you didn't really believe in age. I don't. Yeah. No. It's a state of mind. If something starts hurting, I got to fix it. Okay. And are there any quick advice to actors like how to approach a part? Yeah, do young people ask you, young actors come to you? Uh, listen, I'm a little sad about some of the actors that I've worked with lately in my life. Yeah? I find that they were far more concerned, but in working with them, they changed, but they were more concerned, like, uh, if it's my close-up, they suddenly touch my arm or something, so they're in that shot. And if it's their close-up, they stand like four feet away, so it'll just be their close-up. They're camera playing. They're camera playing instead of learning about the work. I see. And that breaks my heart for them because it's indication and pretending. And some of them are very good at it. But I say, where are the young Marlon Brandos and Jimmy Deans and Barbara Stanwyck's and Betty Davis and 
Joan Crawfords and Laura Derns and Diane Ladds and Ellen Burstyn and Olympia Dukakis and Geraldine Page and Cherry Jones. Mm-hmm. These are actors. They're like doctors. They care about their work. We should all care about our work and do the best that we can. I know you care about young actors. You said that very touching thing when you guys all got you, Bruce, and Laura all got your stars Did back I? in 2010. And you said something nice. I'm paraphrasing, but you said you hope that, that some young person that, st- that, that walks on the star – Takes some takes in some of that energy, some of that creative energy. Who knows? Maybe I'll be hanging on the other side and uh, <laughs> and be zip, zip, zapping them. You was know? that a special day? I know you're big it on a, gratitude. It was a and, wonderful day. Yeah. And there was another day where I, among representing a show business film, they took one person from each category and they had us each write a letter to the next generation. And 30 years from now, they buried it. And so if there's no big earthquake and California's still there, they're going to dig it up and read that. I won't even be on the planet when they read that, yeah. probably, wow. probably. And I just think that things like that that we can do while we're alive is so incredible. A book of recipes for your relatives. Just contribute you know? something. Contribute. Contribute. Yeah. I'll never retire. I'll never retire. That's, that's good to hear. And do you ever, are you one of those people who can watch the films you've done, or do you cringe? I never cringe. No? No, hardly do you, ever. Do you watch Maybe when see? a dinosaur comes out of me. Carnosaur <laughs> 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 makes her cringe. <laughs> you know, before we turned the mics on, we said that Gilbert was going to bring up Carnosaur, and Di- Diane said, you are a bad boy, Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're do, do so you, bad, you're good. Do Don. you look at the performances, and a lot of actors say this, you think, oh, I could have tweaked it, I could have done something different, or you contend to let it go. You contend to let it... to. to yeah, Let I, it exist. I find that, I mean, you know what's good and you know what's bad. Uh-huh. I think of that scene in Alice, the scene that you said was largely improvised, the two of you in the bathroom. When you yes, When you was. leave Vera alone in the diner. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a scene I must pay you a compliment because watching Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore again last night, and I love Scorsese as much as anybody, but that movie shifts into another gear when you show up. Yeah. It really happens. I mean, my wife and I say, it just, it's like, there's a, there's a movie star. You know who told me that? Well, you know who said that? You were the only person but one other, Jenna Rollins. Really? When I first met her the first time, she said, I'm voting you for for the Oscar. I'm voting for you. But they, they didn't get my picture out enough, so not everybody saw Damn it them. in time. I like the film, and it moves along yeah. at a certain pace, but yeah. then you show up, and it just shh, yeah, it just you. it just takes off. That's very kind of you. And a, and a lot of the scene, both where you're sunbathing. Yeah. You impro- How much did you improvise? That's impro- our Fellini song. Yeah, you improvise totally a lot improvised. of that? that one was totally Terrific improvised. Terrific scene. Yeah, that was totally improvised. you got to be proud of that one. Yeah, we are. Going we back are. and watching that. We are. But Marty allowed it to happen, you he see. Did. And he encouraged it. That's the ability he gives us. He's wonderful to work with. He's a New York director. So if you have an idea, you got to wait till noon. You got to say, Marty, can I speak to you for a minute? Yes. After lunch, can I just talk to you for a minute then? After lunch? Yeah, after lunch, Marty. But you want to wait till he's had his lunch. <laughs> if it's a New York director, let him have lunch first. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. We should ask some of the people you worked with, like um, Paul Newman. I was so young. WUSA. WUSA. I like that picture. Stuart was- Rosenberg. Stuart Rosenberg was a genius. You were you worked with him a lot in the early days. Yeah, I did a couple of TV shows. Yeah. And- his he name was keeps very coming complimentary up. to me, very encouraging. He said, I don't know what's going to happen with Diane. He, he pay, paid me a compliment. He said, you could put this one, this one, this one, this one in a room. They wouldn't equal one Diane lad. 
He said, well, she's watching people. It's like he said, she'll do something big and then pull back. It's like she's watching here, watching mm-hmm. the world, watching the play that she's doing. He said, someday, I don't know how long it's going to take, she's going to say, that's it. And then she's going to step forward with her power and she's going to hit. And I've decided next year to do that. Okay. <laughs> so he knows he knew something about you. That was a long time ago. That uh, was Naked City, half hour. Yeah, show. No, I, his, his name James kept coming up. Yeah, his name came. How'd you like working with Paul Newman, even though you were oh, a very I young actor? I love working with him. I was like, disposed. was he nurturing? Was he kind? Oh, divinely kind, divinely right. New York actor. Yeah, divinely gracious. Uh, I I was supposed to be the young cool hand Luke. The the I was supposed to be the young Joanne Woodward. That makes him think of Joanne, see? Mm-hmm. and that's. That was it. And Steve McQueen? And Steve McQueen and the Reavers? Steve McQueen and the Reavers. He was a little rough to work with. He was a We've heard that before with. from guests that, yeah. that were here. What about your friendship with Marlon Brando? I found that very interesting in the research. Marlon, uh, his nickname was Bud, and I never had an affair with him. Let me say it right now. Okay. Shelly <laughs> Shelley Winters totally believed I had an affair with him. I promise you I did not. Did she? Him. Yes, she okay. did. Yes, she did. I didn't. I was scared of his power. Did did Shelley Winters basically have an affair with every actor around that time? I don't know. She's up there. You'd have to ask her. Did you, Shelley? <laughs> She's had, she she had mag- a share. She was a magnificent human being. Yeah. She cared about actors. She cared about the work. She cared about life. We're such fans oh, of her work. I'm such a fan. She's my daughter's godmother. Yeah. My daughter has uh, two Jews and a Catholic as godparents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm covering all bases. Okay. But Brando, what what kind of impression did he make when you first met him? You were, you said you were intimidated. Well, yes. By I his was power. Intimidated. Yes. Yeah. Um, I thought he was extremely attractive. Uh huh. Um, powerful man. I thought he was as vulnerable as a pussycat. I thought he was a loving, kind, vulnerable person. But I thought he'd been hurt by women. Done in by the woman who told him she was a princess. Got lawyers. When you do something like that to a man, and also their mother was rough. You know, she'd been an alcoholic. Great woman. It turns out his sister was uh, one of my best friends. Jocelyn had been called one of the greatest comedians on Broadway. And she was extremely talented, beautifully talented. She was overshadowed by her brother. But her husband was caught in the McCarthy thing. He was one of our greatest writers. And suddenly he was blackballed and couldn't make a living. And nobody knew why. It was only 20 years later when um, they had a friend that was allowed to go in the Congressional Congress and look at the testimonies and things. And um, he had signed a petition that Jackie Robinson be allowed to play baseball. And that took him down. McCarthy used that oh, and that alone no idea of that. against wow. him. That was it. That's all they had. That's all they had. They called him a communist. And the, because of that, and Jackie Robinson was anything but. He was an all-American. Of course. You know, so sometimes in life. So Jocelyn suffered that too, you know. So, so you, he friend, had complicated relationships with women, Brando. It seemed to be. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it seemed to be. But he was the most gracious and the smartest and I had a meeting with him about my script, um, this, this script that I want to do, that I'm hoping to do, Woman Inside, mm-hmm. that I'm very close to having the money. Uh, Mr. Scorsese was going to have his people back, back my film, and that's the backer that turned out to be an embezzler. 
So his funds were frozen. Okay. So I didn't get my backer yet. Hello, is there a backer out there? <laughs> so if you know anybody with a lot of money who wants to we'll have one of the greatest the movie end. ever made. So Marlon uh, read my script. And in fact, one scene in my movie, he helped me with it. It's a fabulous scene. He helped me with it. He says, no, it's yours. Take it. He helped me with one of my scenes in the movie. That's great. But he was great. And uh, he was kind when my daughter was doing a movie. He sent her flowers. And uh, the night that she got engaged to somebody, he came by our house to congratulate her. So he was a, a gentleman and a scholar to me. Yeah. You know, Glad to hear uh, he that. did come over one night that could have ended up being romantic. But what happened is the friend that came with him, the girlfriend, she put a candle that uh, uh, she thought would be nice to light some candles and she put it right under the fire alarm. And just as we're having a dinner, all the firemen were rushing through that. Wow. Because <laughs> whenever uh, Mr. Brando and I, did have a few minutes together. Something like that always happens. So yeah. we remained. To be. No, it was not. <laughs> no, it was not. The angels that wanted us to be friends. Tell, tell <laughs> us also about your friendship with Rock Hudson. Rock was a beloved friend. Um, when I was about 13 in Mississippi in a theater, I was watching a movie starring Rock Hudson, and he got shot. And I stood up in the theater and said, no, no. <laughs> and Monsignor Burns was sitting behind me and said, oh, dear God, would you be sitting down, Diane, please? <laughs> so, who knew that I would end up later in life starring in a movie with this man? Isn't life funny? Can I ask from you a the, couple of quick questions, okay. Diane, from, from listeners that they wrote for you? Oh, sure. Does, this is from Sean Liu. Do you, uh, does Diane have any fond memories of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I did my own stunt. When uh, oh the I, squirrel when the squirrel <laughs> ran out of the street uh, out in the in the living room I did my own flip in the air I wouldn't do that that's now. you that's me wow. I did my own stunt <laughs> impressive I was a pretty good dancer I did my own stunt and then uh, the director had said when I'm laying on the floor Diane get closer to the squirrel get closer to the squirrel <laughs> and the wrangler came over and said Miss Ladd please don't get closer to that squirrel he said listen squirrels are great but you know it's a set anything could happen. And if that thing gets scared, jumps on your head or something, they got long claws, and it could rip your face. I said, uh-huh, and I was scooting backwards, and the director was saying, no, no, I said, closer, Diane. I said, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, that movie was good to you financially, too, you said. I made more money off Christmas Vacation probably than any film I've ever made. Oh. And every year, everybody watches it, and there's a check. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> Thank you, Chevy Chase. And I get a Christmas card from Chevy Chase every year. We God bless Chevy you, here Chevy Chase. <laughs> and you played his mom, and you're something like four years older I, than I him. Actually, no, I'm not even that much older okay. than him. My, uh, my um, then manager had gone to school with him, and we're pretty much pretty close to the same That's age. hilarious. And then I got a call to come audition for this role, to be Chevy Chase's mother. So Shelly Winters loaned me her dead mother's dress. Oh, that's right. I was going to ask you about I that. I put talcum powder on my hair. <laughs> I wore glasses, and I picked up some Oxfords, Oxfords from Salvation Army. And when I went down, there were beautiful women and actresses auditioned whom I had seen starring in films when I was in kindergarten. I felt bad. All these women were trying to get this job. Oh, that's sad. And I walked in that room to audition, and they're not supposed to film you uh, without permission from your agent. But that gas director had that camera right there. And, you know, do, if I'm up for a sexy role, do I want them to see me looking like this? No, but I didn't say anything. I thought, I'm not fighting. Whatever you want, okay. I'm here. 
I just nodded, let her roll her film. And Chevy was standing over there where Gilbert is. And I said, Sonny boy. And I ran over and grabbed him and opened his mouth and put my fingers in his mouth and patted his cheeks and said, my honey baby, my honey baby, I love you so much. <laughs> Before he even knew what had happened to him. As I did all that, and when I went home and my manager called me and said, Steffi Herkos at the time, I said, she said, you got the job. I started crying. I said, my career is over. Oh, God, I got a job <laughs> playing his mother, and I'm his age. Oh, my God. But then I laughed myself to the bank. Yeah. Good like you. 16 weeks work, and I used to hide in the car so the director wouldn't see me, so I'd get to the makeup trailer. Jeremiah Chechik. Yeah, yeah, but she didn't have to do that much. Yeah. I found that I change depending on how I feel inside. Yeah. You know how one day you might walk in and somebody says, are you sick? Are you okay? You say, well, I'm not feeling good because what is it that makes you look that way? What happens if you walk in and somebody said, are you in love with somebody? What's going on? How does that show mm-hmm. what you feel? Because when you feel it inside, that's the actress work to learn and to put across real acting. And we learned that from the Russian actors, from Chekhov and Stanislavski. You like doing comedy because you're good in them. I love doing comedy and yeah. I love doing drama. I love both. Yeah. I love the two extremes. You're funny in 28 Days, too. They didn't give you a ton to do in yeah. that one, but you but you, but you made well, that the director, most of the part. Betty, you stole that whole scene for the horse from me. I ad-libbed that whole scene. That the was horse my therapy scene? scene? Yes, yeah. that was my scene. And she uh-huh. took it and gave it to Sandra uh-huh. Bullock. And I'm uh-huh. still ticked off about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, but l- let me ask you this. What's wrong with that picture? You go to a place, you're supposed to be there 28 days. The only. rehab. That's all you can be there. Yep. But I'm there when Sandra gets there. And then I'm there when she's leaving. We're even going. <laughs> That's a good question. No, no, nobody ever said a word. We're all there when That's she a, gets there and all there when she leaves. That's a good logic what question. What happened? <laughs> One quick one. Rose Mancino wants to know, please ask Diane of Martin Scorsese, Roman Polanski, David Lynch. We'll add David Russell to this. Which director made the most indelible impression on her? Well, darling, that's like saying which of your husbands made the most you indelible. You can't answer it. Everybody in life is different. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their own gift and their own path and their own script, and each script was totally different. Um, they each made an impression in a different way. Do you like doing Chinatown? Yes, I did. Yeah. Very much with yeah. Mr. Polanski. Yeah. Very much I, I did. And, and there's a funny scene there, if you want to hear it. Yeah, tell us, please. Well, I lay down. In the script, it says, ants crawl and she's dead. And ants now crawl on her face and in her nose. And I said to my agent, listen, get it straight. You, They better make a head of me because they're not having ants crawl on my face. <laughs> oh, he said, Diane, don't be ridiculous. They never have ants crawl on your face. I said, this is Hollywood. They would do it if I would let them. They would do it. What do you mean? And he said, oh, they won't. I said, you tell them that. So I go down that day to do this scene. And I lay down now. And Roman, everybody was very quiet because Roman put my body in a very shockingly distorted manner. And you knew that he was remembering his own tragedy and reenacting. So the crew was very quiet while this was going on. He's placing the arm away. And you knew that this man had seen this. And he has to do it or not do it. Well, suddenly I said, uh, then I see the prop guy step over me and open a cabinet. And he takes out a big old jar of ants. And I said, Roman? He said, yes. I said, Roman, you're not going to let ants crawl around me, are you? He says, why? Are you scared of little bugs? I said, yes. 
Yes, I said, all women are. Okay, no ants. No ants near Diane. But we get ready to do the scene, I think. I think maybe he lied. Maybe he lied. <laughs> he could have lied. Those damn ants could be over there crawling up my ear and on my nose in about one minute. And I said, I wasn't sure. I said, Roman, can I please have some cotton? He says, cotton for Miss Lad. The next one, cotton for Miss Lad. Cotton for Miss Lad. Cotton for Miss Lad. Cotton for Miss Lad. Wait a few minutes. Cotton for Miss Lad. Cotton for Miss Lad. Cotton for Miss Lad. Cotton for Miss Lad. Finally, Roman brings the cotton over. I take the cotton. I put it in my ears. I figure I could swap my nose. I said, I'm going to get out of this place he's got me in so fast. He shoots the scene, and I sit up, and there are no ants. And I said, Roman, why do you think that I wanted cotton for that scene? He said, of course I know why. I said, why? He said, you're a method actress. You want to hear nothing so that you can pretend and play dead. I said, oh, my God, you're such a genius, Roman. You're right. Thank you. Oh, he was right. <laughs> no, he wasn't right at all. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't the reason at all. I just let him believe he was right. I didn't want to insult him. I thought, okay, if that's what he thinks, God bless him. My ears were safe. Yeah. He was a, a gentleman and a scholar. It's a small part in that movie, too, but again. Mm-hmm. I got one of the best reviews. Yeah. Ida away. slash Mrs. Mulray. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, Bruce Stern was sitting there by, and he said, when do you come on? I said, when do you come on? I just came on and had a big scene. He said, I didn't recognize you because, you know, I had on a red wig, right. but I the did first something scene, else. Almost the first scene. Well, when she's drinking, Ida, so I did reverse makeup. You put shadow on your cheeks to make it thinner in Hollywood, or women do, and rouge on your cheeks to make them here, but lower the jaw. I did the reverse. I put rouge down in the jaw and shadow here to give me a bloated look on my face. And Bruce didn't even recognize me at first. About that. How about Working that? with your old friend Jack. I love Jack Nicholson. From the old days. He was a, a, a he is a great actor, Jack. Jack. And yeah. you were friends with Johnny Cash too. I June love, Carter. I love Johnny Cash. It's all in the June. book. June Carter Cash, two yeah. of the greatest people I was ever, and became dear lifetime friends with him. Dear lifetime friends with him. What a journey. It was a journey. Diane. Yeah. It's been quite a journey. Since your it? parents told you, since, since your dad said you could be anything you put your mind to. That's true. That's true. He said, Diane, you can put any damn thing you put your mind to as long as it won't hurt you. They want you and to be a district attorney? No, I oh, wanted to. You be wanted a, to be a district five attorney. Years old, I wanted to be a district attorney and save mankind, and I wanted to be a leper missionary too. <laughs> which you told Diane, which you told Laura to be instead yeah. of being oh, an yeah, actor. Never, never, missionary. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Anything else you want to ask this lady, Gilbert? Well, you, you, you're the first guest we've ever had who. Uh, has spoken to my son first. Oh, Max. <laughs> if you don't want to know where the true soul is. He's a sweet boy. Go to the sun. <laughs> right? It happened accidentally. But Dora was just so kind enough to check and make sure that I was in the cab and everything. And Max was there. And I said, I hope that you and your lovely family are safe and dry. I'm glad you're not out in the rain. And she said, well, Max is right here. I said, may I say Hello. And he was adorable. He got on the phone. He was so cute. And I said, Max, are you getting ready for Christmas? And he said, yeah. I said, are, are, are you celebrating? He said, well, yeah, well, I celebrate Hanukkah. I said, well, I'm Jewish and Catholic, and I celebrate both. I always have a treat. He said, oh, so you might be in trouble, Gilbert. 
You might have a Hanukkah tree. Cost, you can have a Hanukkah it's tree. It's going to cost you, Gilbert. <laughs> I'll pay for it. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. That's very tree. nice. Can you take care of his college, too? I think yeah. I might skip that one. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to invade your territory. Yeah. <laughs> Would you tell Bruce we hope he's doing? He's I, feeling better? I he, will. He, he's I, feeling great now. I must say he did one of the early shows uh, in our run, and it was a turning point for us. Really? To get to get Bruce Dern on this show, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good and guy he and was, and he, we had technical difficulties because we did it long distance over Skype. We had technical difficulties. He was patient. He sat through everything. He kept well, the crew on the West Coast laughing. He was really a, and, and he's one of those people that he can tell you who did the catering on a film that he, he has did. A photographic like, memory about all of those movies. Memory. He has a photo a photographic memory. Yeah. yeah. Your books are, are, like I said, they're stories in there, great show business stories, but it's also about kindness. It's also about forgiving people. It's about forgiving yourself. Well, if they go to my website, yep. dianelad.com, mm-hmm. and that would lead them to my company website, which has the films and plays on there that I've read and done and wrote and trying to do. I want to recommend Mrs. Monk, too, to our listeners. Thank since you, you brought it up. Yeah, uh, Excel Entertainment or Excel.com. Is the company my little film company? It's E X X C E L L that has a list of everything on their projects, and my uh, Diane Ladd has some health tips and all kinds of information and quotes and stuff. It's pretty good. We worked pretty hard redoing it recently. You are. So a I want somebody to watch it because I spent some time doing it. You're a Renaissance woman. So now all we have to do is get Laura and complete the whole family. (laughs) Gilbert's going to plug the books. Say, have a nice day. And the the two books are called, both by Diane Ladd, our guest today, Spiraling Through the School of Life, A Mental, Physical, and Spiritual Discovery. It's a great read. Find your miracles. And Stephen King endorsed it right on the front cover. There you go. Stephen He's, King. Fifteen yeah. people endorsed it. He directed your daughter when you were working with yeah. the other dinosaur <laughs> he later gave, picture. He later, he later gave me a job. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's right. I did a series that's for right. Stephen King. Oh. Yeah. And A Bad Afternoon for a Piece of Cake. Those are the short stories. A collection of ten short stories. Will you write another book, Diane? I'm uh, Rex Reed gave me an incredible review, yeah. and so did another great reviewer. And I have a new book of short stories half finished. Good. And I have a novel finished, 365 pages, about me and a woman who helped save this country. She's on one side of the veil, and I'm on this side. And it's a very powerful book. It's called Interrupted Destiny. How so, do you find the energy to do all this? I don't know. <laughs> And you, you made a film with Samuel L. Jackson and Peter uh, Christopher Plummer and Peter Fonda that's coming out, yes, too? Yes, it's coming out, uh, I guess I said December 7th. Last Full Measure? Yeah, December 7th is the TV show on Lifetime. Uh, I also was on Hallmark this year for 10, 10 weeks uh, in Chesapeake Shores for Hallmark. I love the Hallmark people, and I love that they do family shows yeah. for family people, and I wanted to be part of their audiences. Um, I did that. And then the Christmas show is called Christmas Lost and Christmas Found. That's Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th. But then end of February comes a movie that is an incredible true story about a Vietnam hero. And I am the mother of the boy. He's dead in this film. But it's a beautiful movie. And Chris Plummer is my husband. And William Hurt is in it. That's got a great cast. Sebastian Stan. Peter Fonda. 
It's got a great yeah. cast, and it's a great film. We look for that. The Last Full Measure. The Last Full Measure. How's uh, Sunshine the Cat? Still with us? She's in heaven. I'm sorry. Sunshine the Cat. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a very I, I sweet story in the book. A four dogs. The last question is, what do you mean? Your motto, have a little faith, kick a little dirt. Believe in yourself. You can't believe in somebody else if you don't believe in yourself. Even when you feel like you want to throw up or cry, <laughs> then take a pillow, hit the wall with it, get it all out, cry, and start all over again just like Dumbo. Fly high with love and joy. And kick a little dirt. But as long as we have somebody like you guys helping people laugh and get rid of the gas, we can all wake up <laughs> with a smile on our face. Right, We Gilbert? try. Right, Frank? We try, Diane. It's been a pleasure being here. No, it's it's our honor and our pleasure. And we were thrilled when when Adam Karsten called and said, hey, how about Diane Ladd? We jumped. (laughs) And once again, give give all our best to Bruce. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll tell him how glad you were that that he was on your show. We loved him. And he's got to come back and do it again. Yes. Absolutely. Open invitation. Absolutely. Bless your heart. Thanks for for doing this for us. Go get Olympia Dukakis down here. She's got a big documentary opening Sunday. About we'll call her. her. Yeah. And, yeah, and love to, lovely to meet you, Mary Jo. So I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we have been talking to the star of Carnosaur. <laughs> <laughs> You're so bad. You're good, Gilbert. <laughs> The great Diane Ladd. Thank you, Diane. Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn 